Hear God's word, beginning with verse 47, Matthew 13. Jesus is speaking. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. This morning, uh, if you've been coming along with us, uh, we're doing a short series on hot topics for the summer. And next Sunday, I'm going to want to spend some time with you talking about what the Bible says in regards to human sexuality and gender. And I realize that there probably is no hotter topic in our culture today than that particular one. So I think it's important that we work together to firm a a real grasp on the biblical foundations of that very complex and complicated issue. And where we are going to be forced to kind of determine what does the Bible say and are we willing to to live that out and and allow that to to be an opportunity for us, to be a measure of grace to a culture that is often confused and needs the certainty of what God's word provides. So this morning, I will ask for your prayers in regards to preparing for that message next week that I'll have discernment and an extra ability to communicate God's truth with God's grace. But in one sense, uh, this morning, uh, this topic we are discussing today is also a hot one as well. Because in this parable, Jesus is dealing with the subject of hell, and you'll notice that it is described as a burning furnace with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Bob Stock, who just got back from Texas, he said he'd been there for 27 days, and there were three days that were below 100 degrees. He says, I've been to hell and back, and uh, it's not fun. So he was talking about that this morning. But I'm very aware that for a lot of people in our society, about the only time they ever run across any reference to hell is in some cartoon, a a picture, an an image that we develop. I was always a big fan of Gary Larson's The Far Side. I have the complete collection on my shelf at home. And of course, he would would picture flames and and pitchforks and horns and tails, and there'd always be this tagline of some sort, where hell is kind of a joke. Modern people today think of hell that way. They dismiss hell as silly and unrealistic at best and manipulative and sadistic at worst. The problem, of course, is is that the Bible takes this subject very seriously. It does teach that hell is real. The Bible teaches that we will either share our eternal destiny with God or there is an eternal destiny without him. 
It will be one or the other. Therefore, it seems to be rather of utmost importance to, to determine and have an understanding of one's own eternal destination. The Bible indicates that we can know with certainty what that destination is. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, and he couldn't have been plainer, and do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. The scriptures teach that an eternal destiny apart from God is a very real and incalculably tragic possibility. Now, let's talk about this. That's disturbing. Now, when we talk about hell, Inevitably, the argument that comes up is what I might call the Aunt Betty objection. You know what I'm talking about? Wait a minute, sweet Aunt Betty. When the subject of hell comes up, often we'll say something, or someone along, will come along and say something along these lines. Wait a second, Pastor, what do you mean? What about my Aunt Betty? She's a nice old lady. She's never hurt anybody. She pays her taxes. She baked cookies for, her neighbor, for the neighborhood kids. She's, she's kind to stray cats. I, I think she's a good person. She's just never gotten too much involved in church or, or Bible or, or the God thing. She's just not all that interested. But you mean to tell me that because she's not a Christian, she has to spend eternity being tormented in hell? I believe in God, Pastor, but, but my God, the God I believe in, is a God of love and compassion. He would never send someone like my Aunt Betty to hell. What do we do with that? I want you to think about it for a moment with me in regards to Aunt Betty. By the way, this is a picture that the AI gave me. You know, you get onto the AI, and so this is not a real person. This is scarily uh, someone that's just made up. But think about her life. When she was young, every once in a while, maybe Christmas or Easter, she'd hear the story of God and how much he loved her. God would whisper to her through the story of Scripture, you can learn about me if you want to. I'd love for you to be my child. But she made a, a little decision. It may not have been overt. She may never have even expressed it verbally. But in her mind, she said, you know, I, I don't have time for that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pursue something else, not you, God. And then there would be times in her life where she would look at a sunset or, or, or the ocean or, or, or in the fall she'd see the glory of creation in October as she looked at the, the flames on the, on, the, on the forest. And she'd be reminded that there's a creator. And the creator would say to her, you know, I, I made this. I made this for you. I, you didn't get here by yourself. I made you and I love you. And you can know me. But again, she made a, a little decision. It didn't seem like a big deal, but no, I, I don't have time. I'm not going to acknowledge you. I, I'm not going to say thank you. There were times when she did something wrong. She knew it. 
because Aunt Betty is not perfect, no more perfect than you or, or me. God would whisper to her and he would say to her, through her conscience, you know that's wrong. You can be forgiven. With me, you can get a fresh start. I'll do that if you will confess and acknowledge me and just repent. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit works in us to convict us of sin, but she made a little decision. No, I'm all right. I can do this myself. I'm not going to bend the knee. I, I'm not going to repent. As she grew older, more and more of the people that were around her began to suffer illnesses and struggles, and they began to die. Think about it. At every funeral, she'd be confronted with her own sense of mortality, and God would whisper through those experiences, listen, Betty, you cannot beat death. It's inevitable. And God whispered to her, but I have planted eternity in your heart. You know there's something more. That fear of death, that longing for something more, it's there in you. It's in every human being. And if you ask me, if you say yes to me, you can be with me forever. But she made a decision. I don't want to. I, I don't want to. I, I'm not going to say yes. I want to be in control. You see, the truth is, when Aunt Betty gets to the end of her life, maybe she never said it outwardly. Maybe she never said no in a, in a way that, that was verbal, but the reality is she said no to God a thousand times. And through a, a thousand seemingly small decisions, her heart just became more and more hardened to the reality of who he was. And that door to her heart became more and more dark. And, and she determined, all I want is God to leave me alone. And being left alone by God is what the Bible calls hell. You see, every one of us in this room was made for a relationship. We are relational beings. And the relationship we were made for above every other relationship is a relationship with our creator. And the essence of hell is to be separated from him. People sometimes say, uh, you know, I cannot believe in a God who would send someone to hell. You know, I'm not sure I believe in that kind of God either. Because the truth is that the people that will be there will have chosen to be there themselves. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say in the book of Romans about this idea of shutting God out. Romans 1 
We may come back to this uh, even next week, but Romans 1, 21 and 22, he says, for even though they knew God, even though they had the evidence of God in front of them, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became foolish. In verse 24, it says, therefore, God gave them up to their sinful desires. And for this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do things that should not be done. Do you notice the phrase that keeps coming up? God gave them up. In other words, God acts this way. If what you really want is existence outside of me, outside of knowledge of me, outside of, of my will, I'm going to let you have it. A person can say to God, leave me alone. And God will ultimately say, okay, I'll leave you alone. And the ultimate result of that desire to be left alone by God and get what we want is hell. C.S. Lewis uh, put it like this. He, he, he is so good when he said, we will either say to God, thy will be done. Or he says to us, thy will be done. Lewis also wrote this. He said, the doors of hell are locked from the inside. You see, in our culture, we've distorted, I think, the idea of hell into thinking that it's some vindictive torture chamber that a small-minded God inflicts on people. It's easy to deny that kind of God. But folks who... who we, I, I, I think we need to understand this morning what hell is instead will be that place that we will be utterly cut off from God's presence. That means that everything that God creates that is good, that is holy and just and beautiful, everything of a sustaining love and his redeeming power, we will not have that. It will be a place of utter darkness and horror because he's not there. And so I, I, I hate to think about this, but I look at our own world right now and we see how messed up it is because of sin. We know that. Now imagine a place where all of God's care and all of God's power and all of God's goodness and influence and his restraining power are suddenly removed. The less we make room for God, the worse things get. But imagine that trajectory for an eternity without him. Imagine that place. Now, I don't like to think about that. The prophets knew that the people wouldn't like to think about uh, unpleasant things. They wanted to think more pleasant things. I, I'm, for instance, uh, the prophet Micah, he uh, said to the people of Israel this, and I love this picture. If a liar and deceiver come to you and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he would be just the prophet for this people. Hear what he's saying? Micah is saying, I know what you'd like to hear, 
And you know the truth is there are a lot of preachers and churches and philosophies out there that will tell you what you want to hear. In fact, Micah says, they would come and prophesy of the, all the beer you want. And then I thought about, you know, what does beer do? Does it make you more comfortable or more alert? Help me out here. I, I've never had a beer in my life, so I'm not sure I'm able to answer this, but some of you were Lutherans and Catholics before you came to our church, so you have the answer here. Does it make you more comfortable or more alert? Which is it? Okay, I need some help here. More, you're afraid to answer, aren't you? Yeah, more comfortable, more comfortable. Sit back, relax, have a beer. A lot of the culture is saying that it's fine, relax, it's okay. You don't need to worry about anything. In contrast to that, in contrast to that kind of prophet, do you know which person in the Bible said more than anyone else about hell? Jesus. Jesus. Now think about that. Nobody, nobody, nobody loved more being in the presence of the Heavenly Father more than Jesus did. He loved it. He said, this is eternal life, to know the Father as the one true God, the one whom he has sent. That is eternal life, Jesus said. He used to talk about God, and crowds would gather, and they'd say, please, tell us more. We want to hear about this kingdom of heaven. But you know, on the other side of that, no one ever warned people about the tragedy of separating themselves from the Father more urgently than Jesus. That's why he warned, whatever you do, don't go through this life and shut your heart off from God. Don't do it. So when Jesus described hell, he often spoke in terms of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, you, you might know what that sounds like. I've seen it when I, last night I witnessed the devastation, or this morning as I was watching the news happening in Ukraine after several apartment buildings were again rocked by missiles and watching the families and the children. I've seen it and heard it when I see a marriage break up, weeping and gnashing of teeth. The other night I was watching an episode of Cops and I was struck by one man who had been caught with cocaine and he just kept saying over and over again, my life is over, I knew I shouldn't do this, my life is over. He was weeping and wailing. You see, the gnashing of teeth, that phrase is an expression of frustration, of disappointment, a, a disappointed longing so deep it's, it's inexpressible according to words. And Jesus got that phrase from the Old Testament. The psalmist put it like this, the wicked, those who have separated themselves from God, closed their hearts off from God, will gnash their teeth and waste away. The longing of the wicked will come to nothing. Thursday night, confession time, my, it was not my best night. Mary had a late uh, lunch 
uh, that day, and her parents were over in the evening there, and uh, the hours kind of got away from her. So dinner time came and went, and I was getting hungry. And the term is, I think, hangry, you know? You've been there, probably. And I started making some side comments, and she knows this. She can give testimony to this and remarks about when's dinner, how are we going to eat, when's this coming along, and I got the looks from her. And, you know, there's there this, this moment of just, just wasn't my best time. It was ugly. I was hungry. And it made me angry. Living sin... Living apart from God ultimately leads to nothing. Eternally hungry, gnashing your teeth. Because you're hungry, you're hungry for something you cannot have. Jesus said you were made for God and nothing else will satisfy your soul. So then imagine an eternity where human beings face every moment having cut themselves off from the one person who alone has the power to satisfy them. Imagine an eternity where the desire is never met and knowing I could have chosen otherwise. Gnashing of teeth ultimate frustration the essence of hell is nothing more than separation from God and God doesn't do that to anybody we do it to ourselves and then Jesus says do you have any idea of the price that God is willing to pay so that you can spend eternity with him and not apart from him do you know God's heart for you? I remember it was just like yesterday. We were at a water park in Pennsylvania years and years ago now. Caleb was probably five or six years old. We had gotten separated from Mary and the other kids, and we were going to the giant wave pool. We're, we're together for a while. We're having fun. But you know, the wave pool, the, with the waves coming, crash again, it's moving you side to side. It's moving you around. And, and we're, we're just having a pretty good time. But suddenly I realized it's been a while since I'd seen Caleb. And I start to look around. And I don't see him. I'd gotten caught up in my own little bit of fun, I guess. And don't you think that my heart began to race and, and I began to scan the water and the people and I, I, I became desperate. Where is he? I, I began to think about it and I got myself together and immediately I said, you know, I need to go back to where Mary is, where she had camped out all along the way, hoping that, that maybe that's where he had ended up. I was in a panic almost as I thought about what might have happened. Now the good point is, is that when I got back there, that's exactly where he was, a little frustrated. He hadn't told me that he had gone back to his mom, but that's where he was. And there was relief. Now multiply that love a thousand times, a thousand times, a thousand times, and you get an inkling of how much God loves you and the desperation that God has for you. Jesus said, my father is like a shepherd who has 99 sheep in the fold, and they're all okay. The shepherd should be doing okay, you would think, but there's one sheep missing, and he can't rest. He, he, he can't 
stop. He goes and he searches everywhere until he finds that one lost sheep. And then the scripture says, that's why Jesus came to find you. He went to the cross to die for you. When he was here, he took on our sin and our pain and the hell of being separated from God. He took it all. You can choose to be separate from God if you want, but if you want hell, you're going to have to walk all the way around the cross. In fact, I don't think it's really wrong to say, Jesus says to us, you can choose hell, but you have to do it over my dead body. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus says that there is a way for people to get back to God. It's not just by the way that you believe there is a God. There are a lot of people who say, oh yeah, I believe in God, I'm okay. Many people believe there is a God. James 2, 19 says, you believe there is a God, good, but even the demons believe that and tremble. It seems rather naive to believe that you can avoid hell by believing what the demons believe. No, the way back to a relationship with God, Jesus says, involves this thing called repentance. Turning around. Giving him your life. That same trip uh, years ago, we were in Pennsylvania. We were uh, where we were at the water park. We stayed at my in-laws for a few days in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you've ever been to Hazleton, but we were going to make our way after staying there to the Poconos where we had uh, some other vacation plans. Well, let's just say I was excited about getting out of Hazleton, you know, uh, with the it's just the way it was. Well, now I knew that if I simply got went west and hopped on to I-81, I'd take it north and then get on I-80 over uh, east, I'd be on my way. But you know, being a guy who, who likes to figure things out and a little bit of the scenic route, I thought I'll be clever and take a kind of a shortcut out of Hazleton. I'll just go directly east, hit a road, go north, and then I'll find I-80 and eventually get there. Well, I had Mary, and this tells you how long ago this was. I said, Mary, get out the atlas. I'm going to start on this road, and you tell me where we need to go. We'll, we'll make it up as we go along. Just kind of figure it out. We're, so we're trying to figure this thing out. And I'm making my best educated guess about where to turn. But, you know, one of the things that's different from Ohio, in Ohio, you know, the roads are fairly straight, and everything's flat. But in Pennsylvania, you got mountains and curves, and it's very easy to get turned around in terms of direction and 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 there comes a point as I'm going down this road I'm thinking you know I maybe need to turn around a little voice kind of is in that brain of mine it says I need to turn around and I say no I'm not going to do that I'd feel like an idiot and the little voice says you are an idiot (laughs) so I keep going 
And I make another turn thinking, now now we've got to be heading north. We're going to hit I-80 here eventually. And so we're on this road for 45 minutes, and all of a sudden I see a sign that says, Welcome to Hazleton. We had made a complete circle. And there was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in that car. And I don't think Mary should act that way. Now, my point is this. You try to make up your own route. You try to figure out how to get to heaven on your own. We always end up back in Hazleton. Jesus says, turn around. There is another way. There is another road. There is a better road. It's me. And I think there comes a moment when we need to give up the games of denial, the games of minimizing our sin, the, the idea that my sin doesn't really matter. It doesn't make a difference. Who cares and instead say, Lord, I need you. Put me on the right road this morning so that I don't end up back in Hazleton. But I'll reach the place where I was meant to live and become the person I was meant to be in constant relationship with a God who loves me and causes me to grow in beauty and glory and satisfaction. I can do that or not or not what are you doing this morning what are you doing listen my friends this morning the world is not divided up into good people and bad people bad people who simply deserve hell and then superior good people who earn their way to heaven no, the Bible was clear. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the guilt, the punishment, the sin, the hell of us all. This morning, if you aren't headed in the right direction, if you don't have a certainty about where you are eternally headed, then take the right road. Jesus offers himself. Give your life to Christ today. It's the best thing you'll ever do. Let's pray together. I'd invite you to stand right now. Would you do that with me? And before we sing, I just ask you to close your eyes. You're welcome to come to this altar if you need to, but uh, I just want you to take stock of where you are with God right now. Do you know him as your Savior, or have you been subtly but truly saying no to him for far too long? And today is the day when you want to be certain you've said yes to his gift.
maybe you've said yes and you have it in your heart there's someone that you care about and you realize that God wants to use you to reach that person to be an ambassador of grace I'm going to ask you to do something that I think is kind of important if you'd like to say yes to Jesus this morning if you'd like to say yes Lord I want to give you my life I want to repent of my sin I want you to to accept me as part of your family with all the eyes closed I just I just ask that you raise your hand and say Lord I want to be yours amen God you hear those prayers you see those hands you know those hearts fill them with yourself give us light and glory give us Jesus Lord I thank you that sometimes you lay it out so very clearly that we cannot deny it your heart your kindness is so evident thank you Lord that you want to be with us for eternity that is an amazing truth May we experience your grace today. May others, may there be a revival within our church of people committed to you to follow you because Jesus is the way and only Jesus. I pray this through your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness.